Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you could join us. Starting a new series means we pick a topic and talk about it for several weeks. And so, topic for this next couple of weeks is talking points. And this specific Sunday, we're talking about one is the win. Now, <clears throat> when you go to a, a party to, or meet some people you don't know before, um, what are the two topics that are off limits for discussion? Religion and politics, right? Now, at church, we talk about religion every week, so we can't get away from that. So I thought I'd be foolish enough to tackle the other topic today. <laughs> We're going to talk about politics. Now, those of you who are not Jesus followers, hopefully you'll, you'll gain some insight and, and learn some stuff today. But those of us who are Jesus followers, we believe that our faith intersects with all aspects of life, so it obviously intersects with the area of politics. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of division in our country, not just political. I even thought about, you know, discussions about wearing masks and not wearing masks. And there's, you know, divisions about different topics or issues in politics. And so just a lot of division. And I don't know if you remember 2016... But as we approached the election and after the election, there was so much fear. It was, you know, so afraid if the other side wins, you know, your life is going to be over. Your life is going to be ruined. The country is going to be ruined. And both sides believed that. Of course, one side always wins. One side loses. And that's what's going to happen in a few, well, a, week, a little over a week from now. And so that's why I want to talk about this topic. Is we can't let any issue, politics included, be an issue that divides us. So nothing divides like politics. And the reason is because nothing divides like fear. And politics seem to bring this fear out on us. Our lives are going to be different. They're going to be changed, uh, never be the same in, in a negative way. And so that's what many of us believe. Of course, the side that wins thinks it's going to be better, right? most likely. But the question is, what are we exactly afraid of? What, what, what do we, uh, uh, what's the fear about? And the way I can best encapsulate it is with the word loss. We're afraid we're going to lose something that's important to us. We're going to lose our guns, or we're going to lose our right to worship, or we're going to lose, you know, control of our bodies, uh, whatever it might be. There's a sense of loss. Definitely when the other side wins after a period of time, Things change, and with change comes, obviously, loss. So if we're not careful, we as Jesus followers become victims of fear, and even if you're not, become a victim of fear, and we will be divided. And consequently, that, that is um, disruptive to our lives and to our culture and to our society. So here's the thing I want to challenge you with. We, Jesus followers, have an opportunity to model to our community what it looks like to disagree politically. In fact, we don't even usually talk about it around here, so I don't know how people are voting. But love unconditionally. Let me say that again. We have the opportunity to model to our community what it looks like to disagree politically. And the bigger group you get, the more likely it is to disagree. But love unconditionally. There's some things more important than politics. So I'm going to challenge you to think a little bit differently, because especially because of media, 
it seems like politics are the most important thing right now. And ultimately, they're not. So I'm going to ask you the question, are you willing? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to evaluate? That's the word I use. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? So we got different political parties, but there's no Jesus party. There's no party that I would say has exact agenda that Jesus has. And so I can pick some things from this party that I, I, as a Jesus follower, I can support. But there's some things I can't. And there's some things in this party as a Jesus follower I can support and some things I can't. So ultimately, I'm going to push you a little bit here. Are you willing to follow Jesus rather than your political party? Are you allowing your faith to create space between this party's platform and that party's platform? Now, Jesus saw this coming. Uh, not particularly election, he saw that coming too. <laughs> but he saw the division coming. 2,000 years ago, he saw the division coming not just about politics, but about other areas that affects Jesus' followers, we would say the church and culture in general. So we're going to look at something that happened in the last hours of Jesus' life, um, less than 24 hours before he dies. And he knows what's coming, and he's telling the disciples what to expect, and he prays for them, he prays for us, and then he has a specific prayer request that we challenge that most of you don't know what it was. And so we call this prayer that he had after uh, his last Passover meal with the disciples. That was their biggest religious holiday. It's like Christmas for us. Biggest religious holiday or Easter. Uh, he's with the disciples. They observe the Passover meal. He changes into what we call communion or Lord's Supper. He changes the meaning. And then um, last time he's with them, he has a prayer. And we call it the high priestly prayer. Uh, the longest versions in, in the account we have is written by John, one of the disciples. And that's the one we're going to look at. Uh, two components specifically. Jesus' prayer for us and Jesus' prayer request. Now we have prayer requests to come in. Uh, you can submit prayer requests. We have them here on person. In person you give us prayer requests. We're praying for this person that's sick or that person that has a need here or there. I just got notice that a former church member of ours, Bill Johnson, died this morning. And so we need to be in prayer for uh, the Johnson family, uh, Sharon, his wife, and the kids, grandkids, etc. So that's part of what we do as a church. <laughs> we pray for one another. So we're going to look at this account in, in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 17. <clears throat> After saying all these things, is what he was telling the disciples about, I'm going away, I'm leaving you, uh, etc. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, so if he's looking up to heaven, he's praying, Father, the hour has come. My whole life, especially the last three and a half years, this is where I was headed. Uh, I know this was my destiny. This was why I was, I've come to earth. It's why I've done what I've done. And it's about to be over. He said, the hour has come. <clears throat> glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. So God, glorify me, your son, so I can reflect this glory back to you. Now, glory means kind of to light me up. You know, we light up Christmas trees at, at Christmas time. Uh, Jesus says, light me up with your glory. 
So God, people will see you through me, and I will point people to you. Now, the interesting thing about this prayer, if you studied it and you look at it, there is no, it's amazing, there's no bitterness on Jesus' part or God's part that Jesus is going to have to suffer horribly and die unjustly because of my sin and your sin. For most of us, we would feel, this isn't right, this isn't fair, we would feel bitter, but not Jesus. He loved us so much, this was, he was willing to do this for us with no bitterness. I'm going to skip down, we don't have time to cover this whole prayer this morning. Verse 11, he says this, Now I'm departing from this world, I'm, I'm going to die. But they, my followers, my disciples, they're, they're staying here. So I'm leaving them without me. <clears throat> but I'm coming to you, God. I'm coming to join you. So Holy Father, you've given me your name. <clears throat> so here begins his request. Now protect them, who are them? Jesus followers. By the power of your name, the power in the name of Jesus, we can cast out demons. We can tell Satan, leave us alone in the name of Jesus. Not my name, but the name of Jesus. Now protect them by the power of your name so that why? Why does he want them to be protected? Is it to keep them physically safe? I'm sure that would be part of his request, but that's not the foundation of his request. Here it is. That they, my followers, will be united just as we are. You understand the impact of this? Jesus and the Father are one. I mean, they're completely one, unified. He said, that is my prayer for my followers, that you will protect them by the power of my name so they will be united just as we are. Perfectly united. He's going to actually use that word uh, farther on down. So he says, as my followers are in step with me, they will be in step with each other, and this is what's going to change the world. Pretty significant. What is this going to change the world? The unity of my followers. Diversity, yet unity of my followers is what's going to change the world. Now, back when Jesus told him he was going to die, he was going to leave, Peter and say they couldn't go where he's going. He didn't want them to die. Uh, Peter says, wait, 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 wait a minute, Lord. This is back in chapter 13. John records it. Where are you going? He said, I'm going away. He didn't specifically say. Well, he eventually does, but initially he didn't say. And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now. Which they, they couldn't. In fact, they weren't willing to go. They denied him. They left him. But you will follow me later. You will be, uh, be faithful followers, and many of you will be persecuted and maybe even die for your faith, just like I am. But right now, not now. So back to his prayer. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples. Now, this is amazing to me. Okay, he's praying for his 11 of the 12. Judas was already gone. 11 of the 12, 100 or 200, I don't know how many other followers. He's praying for all the, uh, the followers at that point in his ministry. Maybe there's 500. We don't know. I'm praying 
for these the disciples of mine, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. You realize who he's praying for then? He's praying for you and me. 2,000 years ago, he's praying for you and I. And he's praying for people in the 2nd century, in the 5th century, the 10th century, the 20th century, and for us in the 21st century. Jesus was praying for all the, his followers throughout history. And his this prayer before he's arrested and, and, and beaten and crucified. He's thinking about us. So he goes into more detail. He just said end there. Fascinating. Next verse he says this. I pray that they will all be one. He goes back to this unity issue. They'll all be one just as you and I are one. How are Jesus and God one? They are perfectly united. I got to think about this. The best example I can think about this is, is if you've been married a long time and, and your spouse and you, like my wife and I, it's hardly anything else. I mean, we're so united that nothing really else affects us anymore. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Nothing else can affect this unity. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us. So that's the key. If we are in God... If I'm united with God and you're united with God, we're united to the same uh, position, then we'll be united together. Be in us so that the world. Now here's the so that. Okay, why is this so important? Why, why do we need to make this priority number one? So that the world, not just the Jesus followers, and particularly not just the Jesus followers, they're already part of our family. But God said, no, no, no. Jesus, I'm dying for this world, for every part of our creation. <clears throat> so, the unity of believers is critical for the world to believe that you sent me. I would suggest that most of us don't pray this prayer, do we? We don't make this a priority to pray this prayer. That all people will be one. As we are one. Now, one reason I think we don't pray is because we say, that's, that's impossible, right? <laughs> that's impossible. Um, but Jesus said, no, 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 well, you may think it's impossible, but it's still my imperative. This is priority number one. This is critical. If my message is going to have impact on people that don't believe. So this is not an add-on. Well, it would be nice if we, we all agreed unified <clears throat> not unanimity we're not all going to think the same but we're going to make unity a priority over anything individually might believe he says you cannot sacrifice this for anything certainly not for anything political or certainly anything social or anything cultural and we can't even sacrifice it for whatever different theological positions we have this is priority not just so we have unity, but so our unity will be <clears throat> the platform to convince the world that Jesus is who he said he was. And it reminds me, as we go back to that, that when he was p talking to Peter and the disciples earlier in, in John chapter 13, we, we dwell on this quite a bit. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. It really wasn't new. Well, Love each other wasn't new. It's in the Old Testament. But this was the new part. Just as I have loved you. So however you want to define love 
in the past. Now you're defining it this way. You're going to need to love each other just as I have loved you. And how is that? Well, I love you enough to suffer and die without bitterness, as we said, so that you might live. <clears throat> that's it. So that's how you're, <laughs> you and I are supposed to love each other. And he says the same thing here. This love will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not if you read your Bible, go to church, give money to, to ca- different causes. All good stuff, all stuff we should do, but that's not what's going to prove to people that are not Jesus followers that we're Jesus followers. There's, there's, there's something unique. There's something un- significantly unique about being a Jesus follower. There's going to be this unconditional love and there's going to be this impossible unity. And that's going to get people's attention. Jesus said, this is my marching orders for you. To love radically and to be uh, perfectly united. That verse is going to, it's going to, the term's going to come up here in a verse in a minute. <clears throat> so he goes on in his prayer. I have given them, who is them? This is my followers. The glory you gave me. He's passing it on to us. So that, again, why, why is Jesus giving us his, God's glory? <clears throat> again, so that we can be one, they can be one as we are one. That's the so that. That's, that's the agenda. That's the purpose. This radical unity. Because my church is going to be completely diverse. It's going to be every language and tongue, skin color, ethnic group, uh, rich people, poor people, uh, you name it. They're all going to be in my k- kingdom. And they're going to have, in the midst of all this diversity, they're going to have this perfect unity. And people are going to look, look up and notice. He goes on. I am in them and you are in me. That same concept. May they, Jesus followers, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. So they're going to look at this unity of the church and say, there's something real here. There's something amazing here. Now, people out there complain about, you know, even little churches can't get along. He's saying, I know my whole church. All believers throughout the world are going to be united. And we are united under the cross, aren't we? We're united. We let other stuff divide us. He said, don't let that. The world is going to take notice. It's not going to be around our political beliefs, our social beliefs, our ethnic beliefs, even our theological beliefs. It's going to be around Jesus. Jesus gets crucified, he comes back to life, resurrected, he conquers death, he proves he is who he said he was, the Messiah, he sends into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in Jesus' followers. And in the book of Acts, his church goes forth. And they go forth with one purpose, one message, and one command. What was the purpose? Jesus, the last thing he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is the purpose? To make reproducing disciples, not just converts, 
reproducing disciples, disciples that make other disciples. Evidently, it's worked because the church is still here 2,000 years later. So, disciple after disciple after disciple. The message, Jesus was the Messiah, the Holy Son of God, suffered and died, conquered death for us. So, by faith, I can trust in his death in my place so I can have a relationship with God. That was their message. And what was the one command? We could say it, to love one another as God has loved us or to be united as we are one. So the reality is this, folks. In about nine days, ten days, your political candidate, whoever you support, and I hope you are political, that's a freedom we have in our country, privilege. Some people, some countries don't get to, get to vote. They're going to win or lose based on how the citizens vote, majority of the citizens vote. But, but, but the church wins or loses based on how we treat each other and love each other. And that's way more important because two years from now, some of these candidates are going to lose again. Some others are going to win. Four years from now, some candidates are going to lose. Six years from now, et cetera, et cetera. But the church, for 2,000 years, with the message of God's love to a lost and dying world. So we must not allow anything or anyone, political or otherwise, to divide us. Too important. Now, even non-religious uh, uh, historians won't argue with the fact that Western civilization, Western Europe and the United States, our culture has been greatly shaped, our laws have been greatly shaped by what? God's Word, right? So it's Jesus, not politics, first and foremost. Let's be honest, politics fail us, don't they? Canada's to never deliver on all that, he, all that they promise. They haven't fixed the world's problems. And you can list them, I don't need to list them for you. And the interesting thing to me as a historian, I'm a history major, college, back in George Washington days, the political parties were the Whigs and the Federalists. I don't know any Whigs today. Do you have anybody know any Whigs? How about Federalists? I don't know any of those either. Democrats, Republicans, Green Party, whatever. hundred years from now, who knows? Might not be any Democrats or Republicans. That might be a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? One of the commandments Jesus gave to his disciples over and over and over again was what? Don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even in the midst of a storm on a boat in a, on the sea, don't need to be afraid. Why? Because I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Is God here? God's still in control? We don't need to fear. As I said, there's so much fear around the last election. There's going to be so much fear before, during, <laughs> after this election. Jesus followers, don't be afraid. God's command is not to be. And the early church they were attacked by the, by the church, the Jewish faith, the temple, and they were attacked by the Roman Empire. Can you imagine? Attacked religious side, political side. They were basically enslaved by the Roman Empire. Yet, the church grew and grew until it's here still 2,000 years later. Something extraordinary, something supernatural happened. 
So why we allow a political view to divide us from a living, breathing you that Jesus died for? So support your political beliefs, candidate, but don't let that get in the way of sharing Jesus with lost and dying people. You and I need to fight for this unity. This is God's will. And it's kind of hard to pray that sometimes. God, I want your will to be done in the election next week because it might not be my will, right? So would you pray for oneness? Would you pray for perfect unity? Not unanimity. We're not all going to believe the same thing. But those things are going to be secondary to us being one. Came across this prayer. It's short and to the point. And I found it helpful. Maybe you will find it helpful too. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. Should that be the prayer and desire of our heart? Make us one because we realize you tell us, teach us us that that is going to be a way we're going to influence many. That's Savior's prayer. Now, I know some of the pushback. Well, pastor, you know, that's in the Bible. I know you're going to talk about that. But you're so naive. You know, there's never going to be unity among believers, much less in in our culture. So I want to suggest to you that something way more naive than that this, this guy named Jesus comes along, some little back part of, part of the Roman Empire we call uh, Israel. No reputation. He gets 12 followers that are like fishermen, and one of them's even a tax collector that everybody hates. He's going to gather his 12 disciples around him. He's going to lose one. He's going to teach them for three and a half years. He's going to say, I've got to go now. In fact, I, I purpose is to die for you folks. Um, I'm going to conquer death, though, and you're going to be the beginnings of the church. In fact, he said it to Peter back in the middle of his ministry. I just want to read that verse before we finish up. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, not Peter rock, but the gospel, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. Okay? Now, how naive was that? Nobody, you would have a million and one odds against that. This Jesus and his ragtag followers were going to change the world? Start a church that was going to last 2,000 years? Have billions of followers? That was naive. And he says, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Proven to be true? Church still here. 2,000 years. Still here. Governments can't stop the church. Culture can't stop the church. So here's my summation of teaching today. We'll talk about this some more next week. Disagree politically. Believe what you need to believe. In line with your faith. Love unconditionally. There's no caveats. Except, no, 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 no. Love unconditionally. And pray for oneness. And here's my take home for you. And I'm going to push you a little bit on this. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. Now, if you're thinking, I don't, I don't know anybody I disagree with politically, you've got a problem. 
<laughs> you live in a, a too little, too small a bubble. I've got neighbors that they're way opposite from me. Uh, so I, I don't have any problem finding some of these folks. But maybe you do. So if you do, go looking. Because <laughs> what you're saying is there's something you don't understand. You don't understand how that person can believe this or that person can believe that. Right? Because we said this before. People believe what they believe. They think it's a good reason. You may not think it is, but they think it is. So as I said last week, first listen, second learn, and love unconditionally. Can you do that? Not really. (laughs) Not on my own. But that's what God's called us to, right? So God, I need your supernatural power to love those who I think are off the deep end, (laughs) right? That may, may be what you're believing. And then whatever happens next Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, God is still on his throne. You and I need not be afraid. Let me pray with you. Uh, There's so much in Scripture, God, it's just so impossible (laughs) to love unconditionally, to be perfectly unified in our diversity. But that's what you call us to. And we all have the same spirit, those of us who are Jesus followers. And so that's what makes it possible. In fact, it's more than possible, it's essential. This is the mandate you gave us. This is how people are going to come to say, hey, hey, this, this Jesus guy must have been real. This church thing must be real. These completely different people are getting along. They love each other. In fact, they love us too. So that's our mandate. That's our marching orders. We must do it. And we want to pray for anyone who's not a Jesus follower, if you're listening or you're here in person, that you are separated from God by your sin, by your shortcomings, mistakes you've made. God's a perfect, holy God, and once we've made one mistake in our lives, we're separated from God. And God says, I don't want to be separated from you. I'm going to do whatever's necessary for us to be united. In fact, I'm going to sacrifice my only son. That's the only way it's going to be possible for you to be in relationship with me again. And so Jesus suffered, he died, he rose from the dead, he conquered death, so you and I can be forgiven and be in perfect union with Almighty God. And when we die, we'll go to be in heaven with him for eternity. It's a free gift. All you can do is say yes. And I pray today is the day you make that decision. If you, when you make that decision, let us know so we can pray with you and help you. You are a new creature. You're born again. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when you do that. And I'm praying the angels are rejoicing now for you. Father God, this is your world. Sin has messed it up, but you're still in control. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the church. We thank you for this mandate that we need to go and do the impossible. It is possible through your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.